I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about disinformation as a national security and public policy issue, we have with us today two outstanding Pulitzer Prize winning reporters from the New York Times, Eileen Sullivan, who is a Washington correspondent covering the Department of Homeland Security, and Stephen Lee Myers, a veteran foreign correspondent, national security correspondent at the New York Times. Eileen, Steve, welcome to Truth of the Matter. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. You all wrote on July 6th an article that just really spoke to me and I think a lot of others in our community and our national security community in Washington that the article was entitled, Disinformation Has Become Another Untouchable Problem in Washington. Eileen, can you explain to me why that is? This has been something that's been you know, raised as an issue for the past few years, but it really came to a head when the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas during a budget hearing told lawmakers that they had the department had created this disinformation board and it was there wasn't a ton of information that he provided on it. It was immediately scrutinized and and criticized and it just sort of took on its own (laughs) disinformation narrative about what it was and what it was for. And why did the secretary feel a need to create a board to take a look at disinformation and its impacts on policy and on our society? What Steve and I have been told is that this this came up as sort of a, a real internal thing uh, as far as the coordinating among the uh, the different agencies within the department, which has you know several different agencies that operate on several different authorities, and so because disinformation was affecting different missions. They they wanted to basically pull together a best practices, take a look at all the different authorities and, you know, what you could and, and could not do as far as being aware of disinformation internally. Steve, last February, the Department of Homeland Security, as you all reported, added the threat of false information to its periodic national terrorism advisory bulletins for the first time. It said the United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives or conspiracy theories. And so it would seem pretty natural that an agency like DHS or the United States Congress or you know, anybody really seriously in Washington would take a serious look at this and the impact it's having on our society. I think that's right. And I think that there's a growing recognition and a bipartisan one that disinformation is a problem, that the stuff that emerges online can have real world impacts and uh, it can affect communities, it can affect law enforcement. And I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty about how to handle it, how to address it, how to approach it. And I think, at least from the officials' point of view, that this was a good faith effort to try to get their hands around a problem. The bigger problem, I think, is that while people will agree that there is a problem, they don't really agree on what kind of problem it is. And and that's increasingly taken on a, a partisan tone. And, and this board was cast that way by critics that, you know, it was it was seen as something that you really couldn't trust the government to be in charge of. And the critics were both on the left and the right, weren't they? 
They were, of course. And this was cast by um, some of its critics on the Republican side as a ministry of truth, you know, an Orwellian effort to kind of control what people think. And, you know, there's a lot of distrust towards the government, and that's not limited to just the right. And conservative and liberal groups raised questions about how this would, would operate, this board. I, I think there was some confusion about that, that Eileen mentioned. The way it was rolled out, there wasn't a lot of information, and that, that created the space for it to be cast as this nefarious project, which I think really undercut it from the beginning. And what was the criticism from the left? There was concern that the Department of Homeland Security did not have a great record in protecting basic rights, including free speech. And so that this was not an agency you would want to, you know, be in charge of policing what isn't, isn't allowed to be said online. And, you know, the one, one of the groups that criticized this in a letter to the secretary pointed out that they empathized with the goal and understood the need for addressing this, but were very wary of how that would um, work in practice. Eileen, can I ask you, how do you think an issue like disinformation where our, you know, our intelligence community has warned about this in the, in the context of elections, in the context of societal issues like racial reckoning, guns, abortion, so many different things. How, how has this become so politicized that government can't seem to address the problem? Well, I, I think, you know, an, another concern of, of the left, in addition to the, you know, the department having this was kind of based on a, a misunderstanding of, of what it was supposed to be, because there was so little information about it. And the concern was that, you know, what what is this what does this um, board look like in a future Republican administration? And so I think that that was the concern. You know, is there a role here for the government to dictate what is true and what isn't, even if that was not the, the purpose of the board? Those were some of the concerns that were coming up. And the intelligence community, right, I mean, they, they have identified it as, um, you know, what we saw in 2016 with the, the Russia disinformation campaign that, you know, in, in 2017, I mean, I sat through hearings where both Republicans and Democrats were saying that this is being used to, to undercut America's faith and its democracy. And so that's why it was it's considered such a, a big issue for the intelligence community. It's also the, the origins of disinformation or the pre presence of disinformation in the 2016 election uh, from the Russians and how that affected the outcome or not. The debate over that became a very partisan one because it was seen as being um, to talk about Russian disinformation was in some way to discredit the election of Donald Trump. And, you know, he called it fake news. And there's been a lot of accusations swirling about how much influence Russia really did have. And I, I, I think that that's kind of tainted the debate over disinformation generally and made it much more of a partisan issue than it might have been otherwise. Nina Jankowitz, who was appointed to be the director of this board, is somebody who was very prominent in, in writing about testifying to Congress about Russian disinformation. So I think she was seen as somebody, a combatant on one side of the information war, if you will. So I think that that has also kind of colored the whole debate over you know, how to address this issue. Same with the disinformation around coronavirus and, and masks and, and vaccinations. Scientists will tell you there are very real issues of false information being put out there, but those are also increasingly cast in a partisan way.
your reporting shows that you can't even use the word disinformation today without having some kind of a political connotation. I think that's right. And, and, and that's, I think, the big challenge for trying to address this in any kind of legal way. And, you know, it's, it's happening also on, on the state level. And, you know, you, you see the red-blue divide in the way that, you know, local legislatures are trying to address the issue as well. Again, people see the problem, I think. They understand the need to try to address it, but everybody has a different approach because they're coming at it from a different ideological lens. We have an election coming up in the fall. We have primaries that are taking place now. Are policymakers on both sides concerned about the impact that disinformation might have on the upcoming election? Or is it just still such a partisan issue that nobody can do anything or wants to do anything? I think people are very concerned about the way disinformation is being used, and not just in the election, but certainly with the elections coming up. It's, it's in the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And again, you know, it, it's, there's not a clear path to how to address it. Even well-intended people will tell you, you know, that there, there aren't a lot of tools other than trying to, you know, respond to misinformation with accurate information, you know, to try to increase media literacy and things like that, you know, education. But, you know, all of those are slow, amorphous responses to what is, can be a very effective tool in, a, in, a, in an election whether that's to discredit your opponent or to discredit the process, to misinform people about how to vote and where to vote and so forth. And, you know, of course, I think everybody is on alert, um, as always, since 2016, about foreign influence as well, you know, manipulating information online in ways that would disrupt the or discredit American democracy by adversaries. And so what happened in the end with this is because of the partisan outcry on both the left and the right. What did the secretary decide to do? He asked his advisory council to review it. And the advisory council took some time to do that. And July 18th issued a very small summary and said, we have concluded that there's no need for a disinformation governance board. And that's that. And the people that he appointed to look at this was Michael Chertoff, former Secretary of Homeland Security, and Jamie Gorelick, who was Deputy Attorney General under President Clinton. So it was their conclusion that there shouldn't, there's no need for a panel on this? You know, there were some, some other people, too, on the, on the list who looked at it. And they reviewed it and uh, looked at, you know, the different agencies that were going to be a part of it and decided that they, they don't have an approach to recommend yet for disinformation threats. But at this point, they, this type of disinformation governance board is not necessary. That's a very nice way of, of saying that it, it, it just became so politically toxic that there was no way they could move forward with it from the way they mishandled its introduction in the beginning, even the way it was announced. I think if it had been cast perhaps explained in a in a clearer way what it was and wasn't trying to do, the administration might have avoided a lot of the controversy over it. Probably there still would have been some, but I think the way they handled it just made it politically unpalatable. And they recognized that pretty quickly and retreated from it. And I, I think the review was just a way to kind of paper over the mistake they had made and their retreat from it. 
So going forward, what does your reporting tell you is going to happen to this issue? Is there any momentum to try to study this in another department of the administration? Or is there any momentum in Congress to take this issue on? I haven't seen anything. I don't know, Steve, you may know more about um, in the academic community what, what they're doing. I know there have been some papers, but right now it seems that the, the issue is how, you know, how best to, to counter message some of the disinformation that's that's coming out. As I mentioned earlier, there there are a lot of initiatives going on on state levels that you see there there are bills here in California. Um, you know, other other states have tried different approaches to you know regulating information about elections, for example. And I think you'll probably see those continue. Um, but I, in in some ways, you know, the the most successful efforts to fight disinformation have come from directly appealing to the tech companies, to the social media platforms, in essence, shaming them to take down harmful information or blatantly false information. And the problem is, is that I, you know, the, these companies, Facebook and Twitter, have taken steps. And what you're seeing now, I think, is an even more complicated landscape with, with additional platforms emerging, some in response to people being kicked off Twitter, for example, you know, there, there's a more amorphous landscape out there in which dis disinformation can thrive. And so some people that I've talked to are actually even more pessimistic about how to confront this challenge because it is becoming a more complicated one. I take it from what you're saying is that policymakers are going to have a really hard time going forward addressing this issue. And perhaps the only organizations in the world that can address this with any kind of effectiveness is the business community. And, you know, people question their incentive. How far are they willing to go when, you know, their their business model is to engage people and keep them on their platforms. And they do that with, you know, provocative information, with emotionally charged information. It's not always disinformation, but it often can be. And people want to believe stuff that they see because it outrages them. And, and you know, that that model is going to be hard for the companies, I think, to walk away from entirely. And, you know, there there is pressure being put on them to do better, to, you know, police, uh, moderate, you know, clearly harmful information. I think a lot of people can agree on what they would consider harmful. But when it comes to political messaging and, and so forth, you know, it's such a partisan time uh, in this country that there are wide disagreements on a lot of hot button issues. And, and you know, those companies, I don't think have a lot of resources they can bring to tempering those debates at all. When you talk to the experts, where do they say this is headed, if anywhere? I mean, it depends if they're pessimists or optimists. And, you know, some people will point to, you know, positive steps that are being taken by the by the companies, for example, the platforms. You know, there are people who are looking for, you know, new technological solutions that might, you know, change the business model of the internet itself. Even even the protocols of the internet could change in a way that would that would reduce the impact of harmful information. But, you know, the pessimists will tell you it's just becoming more and more amorphous. The, the platforms are, are proliferating. And with that, the disinformation is proliferating. And the trust in institutions, 
including the government, including the media, you know, is eroding so much that no one believes anything anymore. And this is a very, by the way, Russian point of view. And, and a lot of the motivation of Russian uh, information campaigns is, is not so much to present an alternative worldview anymore, but to disrupt the faith and in institutions. And, you know, that, that's become, I think, a very pernicious thing in our society today. And what are the experts saying to you about how our policymakers may or may not address this going forward? I think that there's not a lot of confidence that there is a legislative path forward in Washington. From an intelligence community perspective, obviously they're going to keep looking at this and, you know, raising these concerns. And in, in 2017, when they started putting out their findings, I mean, they they, I just remember constantly reporting that they were saying there's there was no way to say whether any of this had any sort of influence on how people voted. And I think that the intelligence community is going to, you know, going to have to try to to keep that narrative and, and, and keep it focused on just the facts that they have in front of them about disinformation so that it, it doesn't get politicized, because that's that's a real danger in the intelligence community, of course, intelligence getting politicized. And it seems like in this environment where things are getting politicized so quickly, it's, you know, it's a real vulnerable scenario. Eileen, Steve, thank you very much for your reporting on this and for coming on the show today to tell us about how you got to where you got with it. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Great to be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 